Father, let the words that I speak be the ones that you give to me. And may those words reflect faithfully upon the scripture that we have just read, that your truth may be heard and proclaimed. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. I suppose there can't be many more appropriate times than now, ten days after the EU referendum result, And there can be few more appropriate places than here in the heart of Westminster to talk about the need for healing. Healing not only in our personal lives, the healing of body, mind, and spirit, but healing in a much wider sense and in a much broader context. Healing in the political circles of Westminster, which presently seem to be in disarray and lacking leadership. Healing right across a nation divided between remain and leave. Healing across Europe itself, where suddenly we, by our democratic decision, seem to have become a pariah state. Healing is more than physical cure or the means to individual wholeness and fulfillment of life. In its broader sense, as the New Testament speaks of it, it has to do with the reconciliation of those who are opposed to each other. It's about the restoration of broken relationships. It's about the mending of divisions that go deep within communities and societies. In other words, it's about promoting life and well-being in a whole variety of situations and contexts. Put another way, as the New Testament does, It's about promoting the life of the kingdom of God. So tonight, I want to explore why and how the church engages with healing ministry in its widest sense, or at least why and how it should go about it using that lesson that we've just read from Mark chapter 6 as our basis. But before we do that, let me just take you back a few chapters to Mark chapter 3. For there, Jesus called the twelve. And as he called them, he described them, or Mark describes them, as apostles. And they had a threefold role. Firstly, they were to be with Jesus. Secondly, they were to be sent out to proclaim the message of the kingdom. And thirdly, they were to have authority from Jesus to cast out demons. Move on now to chapter 6 here. And these apostles, having fulfilled the first of those three points in their role description, to be with Jesus, now begin work on points 2 and 3 to be sent out to proclaim the message of the kingdom and to have authority to cast out demons. 
Jesus introduces them to the idea of being apostles, literally meaning those who are sent. In chapter 6 here in Mark, they are sent out in pairs with authority over unclean spirits. In verse 12, Mark tells us that they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. And in the following verse, we're told they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. It's clear that Jesus wants them to continue to fulfill his ministry. A ministry that began back in chapter 1 of Mark with Jesus giving out that banner headline message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But it wasn't just the twelve who were called to proclaim the kingdom of God in word and deed. As this morning's lectionary gospel made plain, Jesus commissioned a further group of 70 or 72 followers to go ahead of him and to make known in deed and word that the kingdom of God has come near you. And there's an urgency in all these gospel passages where Jesus sends out his followers to proclaim the kingdom of God. In the ministry of Jesus, the future kingdom of God was even now breaking into the present moment, embodied in the person of Jesus himself. So there was no time to waste before the kingdom might come in all its fullness. But you see, the proclamation of the kingdom wasn't all down to Jesus. He saw that it was vital for his followers to share in the work of proclaiming the kingdom too, in both word and and deed. Now in today's church, there might not be the same note of urgency in kingdom proclamation as is sounded here in the Gospels. But it's my conviction that Jesus wasn't simply giving followers his instructions then, but was setting out principles of kingdom ministry for his followers in every time and place. So for us too, there's a commission here as Christian disciples today, we are called also by Jesus to proclaim in word and deed that the kingdom of God has come near. This is a task for the church now, just as it was 2,000 years ago, in spite of how things are in the country right now, and actually, perhaps particularly because of the way things are in the country right now, it's so important that the church is proclaiming the kingdom of God in word and deed. When we look at the way Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, we see that his proclamation was characterized by so many instances of healing. A quarter of the material in all the four Gospels is concerned with healing, a clear demonstration of the truth that the kingdom of God had come near. For myself, I believe that the expression of healing ministry in its widest ramifications is a practical way of proclaiming the kingdom in very tangible terms, showing how the gospel really is good news. Not just saying it's good news, but demonstrating that it's good news. It's integral, I believe, to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be part of the body of Christ in the world. Remember what Paul tells us in in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, you are ambassadors of Christ. And it's your job to be engaged 
in a ministry of reconciliation. That ministry of reconciliation is part of what healing is all about. And how much that ministry of reconciliation is needed in our country right now. And you know, it isn't just a few gifted specialists who do this. This is what the church does. The church is called to proclaim the kingdom in word and deed. The church is called to offer healing ministry. The church is called to a ministry of reconciliation. The fact that Jesus sent his followers out in pairs and they went out ahead of him shows that this ministry of healing doesn't hinge on celebrities or personalities, although it's often captured by them. And that's why here at Central Hall, as in other places too, people are prayed for by pairs of healing team members. For us, that's in line with scripture, and it's true to the model that Jesus gave his followers. Furthermore, we believe that this ministry isn't just for certain churches like Central Hall, but it should be integral to the life of every local church as each community of faith takes up the call and the challenge of Jesus to share in God's mission to the world and to proclaim the kingdom of God in word and deed. That's one of the reasons why here at Central Hall we've developed an online course called Healing Ministry Explored to help encourage Christian groups and churches to build on their own practice of prayer and offer healing ministry to others. And if you want to know more about it, you'll find a leaflet about it with your order of service and with the outlook tonight. But coming back to the principles of kingdom proclamation demonstrated by this passage from Mark and similar ones in Matthew and Luke, I want to put forward briefly three points that emerge for me from this passage and others like it that inform us why and how we should practice healing ministry in its widest application. And the first of those three points is this, that this ministry has to be God-dependent. You'll notice from that passage in Mark that Jesus urged his apostles to travel light. Now, this is a message I really need to hear uh, Rita and I have just come back from, from holiday, and because it's been a rail holiday, we've tried to travel as light as possible, uh, and other people have commended us for that, so that we didn't have great big heavy cases to load on and off trains. But actually, for both of us, it's not something we find easy at all. For myself, I'm the sort of person who likes to have all bases covered. I like to be prepared, like a good boy scout, for all eventualities, ready for all weathers and circumstances. Even in the days of my youth, I'd have been absolutely hopeless as a gap year student traveling the world with only the contents of my rucksack. But Jesus tells the twelve not to take so much as that. Take nothing for the journey, he says. I think I often take far too much of myself on my spiritual journey of faith, the missionary adventure to which God calls me. It begs the question whether I rely enough on God or whether I want really, actually, to make sure that 
I've got my hand over everything. I'm not one of those who believe that relying on God means sitting back and doing nothing. If I don't do what I'm called and equipped to do because I'm a lazy disciple, I should expect to fall flat on my face and not count on God bailing me out. But there are some things that I just can't control or perhaps shouldn't control. And these I must learn to leave to God. So as far as healing ministry goes, personal prayer and spirituality are so important. So too is tending constantly to our relationship with God and a corporate prayer life and support in a healing team. We do what we are called to do and we just leave the rest to God. I was brought up quite short on this point last year at the annual conference I attend of Christian healing organizations from around the country. At the conference, we hear from every organization represented and we pray for one another on the basis of what each has shared. In the closing act of worship, when we all prayed for and laid hands on one another, I was given by one of the members a prophetic word of knowledge. And that word was this, and it really went home. It was to allow God, rather than me, to grow the healing ministry at Central Hall. And honestly, I have tried to do that ever since in the last 18 months. I've tried to hand as much of it over to God as I can without abdicating my responsibilities. So the first principle I want to say about healing ministry in all its forms is this, that we must be prepared to make God central to this ministry. It must be a ministry on which we are totally God-dependent. It isn't down to us in the final analysis. It's God who heals. We are just the mere channels of his healing grace. That's the first thing. The second thing is that this is a ministry for the single-minded. Jesus warned the apostles, as he did all his followers, that their ministry wouldn't be universally well-received. Opposition and rejection are to be expected, he said. So where is that to be found in healing ministry? Well, in my experience, not always where you might expect In Christian circles, it's sometimes thought that those outside the church will be hostile to our message. Sometimes that's true. But it's by no means always the case. Often those people we call the de-churched or the unchurched can really be quite open to receiving prayer, and particularly prayer for healing. I can count just on the fingers of one hand the number of people in the whole of my ministry of over 30 years who have said to me that they really wouldn't like me to pray for them or for a loved one of theirs who's in difficulty. In the previous circuit where I served, a second congregation grew largely from those who came to healing services at a different time from the church's main service. But sometimes, you know, the fiercest opposition to healing can come from within the church itself. 
In some churches, there are those for whom healing has never been part of their experience of church or their denominational tradition. So they view it with fear and suspicion. And there are those too who, from a theological viewpoint, tar everyone in healing ministry with the same brush, assuming that we all adhere to the worst practices of fundamentalist TV healers and evangelists, whose modus operandi seems very far removed from the practice and the approach of Jesus. I often do training or give talks to groups in churches where healing ministry isn't supported, or I go to meetings where the first requirement has to be spending time in teasing out fears and suspicions and then trying to allay them. So, in this healing ministry, we have to expect that all will not welcome this ministry. All will not embrace it gladly. All will not see that it's an essential part of the work of the kingdom. We're fortunate here at Central Hall that it has such a central and a vital part to play in the life of this Christian community. So healing ministry in all its forms requires people who are single-minded in their dedication to the proclamation of God's kingdom and to its outworking through healing ministry. And where our healing ministry centers on relationships and a ministry of mediation and reconciliation, then we can also know how difficult it can be as we get caught in the crossfire that often ensues. So firstly, this ministry requires us to see it as being a God-dependent ministry. And secondly, we have to be single-minded in our commitment to this ministry to which Jesus calls us, just as he called people long ago. And thirdly and finally, it seems to me that this is a ministry that brings results. Verse 13 of that passage from Mark 6 says that those rookie apostles went out and proclaimed the kingdom of God with all the authority that Jesus gave them. And two outcomes resulted. They cast out many demons and they anointed many with oil and cured them. Notice that Mark uses the word many here twice. So we could say this was a successful first mission. Of course, not all were cured. Not all were anointed, not all maybe received healing, but it wasn't just some either, it was many. But in healing ministry, it's sometimes the case that many is not enough. It's not enough to say many when you're dealing with the loved one who has terminal cancer. Many isn't enough when it's a friend whose pain continues to get worse in spite of all the prayers. Many is not enough for the teenager dying from injuries sustained in a road accident. Many is not enough for the couple whose marriage doesn't mend and heal despite all the support and the prayers that are offered. When prayer doesn't go our way, Understandably, we wonder and we question, why not healing for her? Why not healing for him? Why not for them? Why not for me? That healing has been given to others, even to many. 
makes no difference whatsoever. Personal experience can never be outweighed by statistics. The one is never trumped by the many. And yet, though not all are cured, many are healed in body, mind, and spirit. And I'd also say that all are in some way blessed, if not cured. One of the things I think we don't do enough is to tell each other those stories about healing and blessing that we all have to share. I can think of the church member, I recall, who was suffering from depression. He told me after, not before a healing service, that his long-standing depression had lifted the day after the previous healing service, which was a month before. He'd gone a month without saying anything to me about what had happened to him, or to anyone else for that matter. Often, we're just far too reticent about what God has done in our lives and in the lives of others. One of the common results of healing prayer that I've come across is the way in which those who've received and welcomed healing prayer have often amazed doctors and surgeons with the sure and rapid recovery they make to surgical procedures or conditions requiring medical intervention. Again, it's not all but it's the many. But I've come across too many instances of this to dismiss it as mere coincidence, even if there's no scientific evidence to show that healing prayer has had a direct bearing on medical outcomes. But on the other hand, I've known cases where non-Christian doctors have offered to write up reports on Christian patients because they too are so impressed with results that cannot simply be attributed to medical science and healthcare, particularly in the case where those Christian patients have received healing prayer ministry. So, prayer ministry, the proclamation of the kingdom in word and deed, does bring results. So in conclusion, I believe Mark is telling us here that healing ministry in all its facets is God-dependent, is for the single-minded, and it brings results. Maybe this has prompted in you a call or it's presented a challenge to you as an individual or as church to engage in some form of healing ministry, some form of ministry of mediation or reconciliation or counselling. Maybe it's prompted in you a call that you are being sent to heal in some way or another because God continues to use us to proclaim God's kingdom in word and deed. But tonight, for all of us here, there's the opportunity to receive, to receive from those who have heard a call to be sent to heal, to receive the blessings that God wants to give to all of us through those he chooses to use as channels of his healing grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.